0: Well, the great Scottish preacher, Robert McChaney, said this about his ministry. The greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. The greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. And I feel that as well as I do ministry, how my holiness affects this ministry, how I feel about things, how the congregation is, how my preaching goes, how I relate to others, how others relate to me. Part of it is my holiness. It's bound to my holiness. I think the problem of the unbelieving world, in fact, is that the w- unbelieving world have not met too many holy people, people who they, who, who, who they, who they have met and, and have, have, have um, asked why um, they are the way that they are. Even if people have personal, philosophical, intellectual objections, if they have met somebody... Who have they, who have questioned? Uh, who have made them question about their life? I'm sorry, um, just slightly distracted. <laughs> Is it? Sorry. Um, let me start again. So, <laughs> if. Uh, even if people have met, uh, even if people have personal, philosophical, intellectual objections, if a non-believing person met who, uh, somebody whose life speaks to the holiness of God, if they saw somebody and met this person and said, wow, there's something different about this person, that, that person cannot be dismissed. You've met people like that, I imagine, and people um, whose lives have been challenged um, whose whose lives have challenged your complacency in your walk with Christianity and people who have inspired you to be more like Christ. And of course, Jesus was like that. Jesus was not a person who people could ignore. A person in whom there was no darkness at all. He is the light and darkness was driven away wherever he went and people couldn't ignore him. Some people wanted to kill him some people wanted to worship him, but people couldn't simply ignore Jesus. Remember how John writes in chapter 3 of his Gospel 19 and 20. If you have your Bibles, look there. Uh, in chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. He writes, this is the verdict. The light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that he may be it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness because of the light, and they run away. But people who live by the truth come into the light. John writes in the context of John's gospel. Then, gospel the, the 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 statement that God is light speaks to his holiness the divine light and how it propels sin away how it opposes sin evil and as christians we want to be like jesus we want to put to death uh, to our old self and become like him become holy like him and so in our text if you go back once again john chapter first uh, john chapter 1 verse 6 it it hits us hard doesn't it if we claim to have fellowship with him yet and yet walk in darkness. We lie and we do not live out the truth. We do proclaim to have fellowship with him. We call ourselves Christians, and yet we see ourselves falling. If we're honest, there are too many areas in our lives that we're not happy with where we know that the Holy Spirit on our behalf is grieving inside of us because of our habitual sins. And before we go any further, we should start. We should understand that John isn't talking about occasional fall here. He says walking in darkness. And walking implies a direction. Walking implies going somewhere. Persistently moving towards this darkness. Not occasional fall. He's not expecting us to be a super Christian who doesn't sin at all. Actually, that's not realistic. In fact, it's the opposite, he will say later on. But even with that, we do find it difficult, isn't it? to be holy. We find ourselves struggling with the same sins again and again, same temptations. What gets in the way, then, of becoming like God, becoming light like Jesus? And I'm sure there are many things, and I think this text tells us a few things, uh, helps us in a few ways. Part of it is just the self-deception, the lies that we tell again and again to ourselves, that can get in the way. So let's take a look at the first lie. In our outline, it says, I can do it alone. The lie that that says, I can do it alone. So take a look at verses 6 and 7. John writes, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all our sins. You see what John is saying there? He seems to be drawing a relationship between having fellowship with God, being in the light, and actually having fellowship with other people. If you walk in the light, you will have fellowship with other people, he says. And then he goes on to say that if you have fellowship with one another, that blood of Jesus purifies us from our sins. That somehow walking in relationship, living in relationship with other people will purify purify our sin. John's not talking about atonement that Jesus has accomplished once and for all on the cross. Jesus has died and he rose again. He paid for our sins once and for all and uh, he will make us completely holy when he comes back. But he is talking about the present right? He says it's in present tense. He will purify us of our sins. The power of his blood that will purify us completely has started its work already. It has started its work now. It's working right now. The process of becoming holy, that process of sanctification we call it, has begun already. He purifies us from our sins already now. So we ask, How is it that the growing in holiness and what's the relationship between growing in holiness and having fellowship with other people? Once again, I think John is getting to the lie that we tell ourselves, the lie that says I can do it alone. I don't need other believers. I don't need the church. If I have the Bible and the spirit, if I just try hard enough, pray hard enough, work a little harder, then I can become holy like him is the lie that he's getting to. We might think we can do this alone, since it feels so easy to do it on our own, doesn't it? As you know, I live by myself, and I can tell you that it's easy to do this by yourself. I'm super patient with myself. I'm very loving, if the only person that I have to love is myself. I'm also very good at forgiving. I'm not too tough. I'm kind and gentle. I am good towards myself. I'm a good listener to myself. That's not what holiness is. That's not what Christian virtue is. When we're talking about patience, love, forgiveness, gentleness, kindness, and goodness, all the fruit of the Spirit that we talk about, that is all about relational virtues. Those are Christian virtues. Um, uh, holiness, along with others, um, have to be developed, uh, along with other Christian uh, virtues, uh, need to be developed in community, in life, with each other, in relationship with each other. Did you catch that phrase in verse 6? Living out the truth. This isn't living out the truth in your room. This is living out the truth in real life, in relationship with other, other people. That happens, the holiness, our growth happens in community. Growing in love means loving people who are not lovable. And although you might Occasionally, find yourself not that lovable. I am. I assure you, you love yourself far more than you love other people. It's a whole different ballgame when you have to love others—people who are difficult. It's when love is not um, an abstraction, we grow in our patience when things go don't go our own way, and when we're living in relationship with others. We have to depend on others. We grow in kindness and goodness and gentleness all in relationship with other people. We can't grow in these virtues on our own. These are relational virtues. So if we have, if we claim to have fellowship with Jesus Christ, but fly solo in our Christian walk, that we think that we can grow on our own, you are lying. You are lying to yourself. And the truth is not in us. We are living in our comfortable and complacent place, we're we're still the center, at the center of our own world. We must have fellowship with each other. And there are other reasons why living in fellowship will help us to grow in holiness. It's also because other people will shine Christ's light in us, and it'll expose ourselves to ourselves, and we won't be able to hide from ourselves. Once again, it's very easy to mask your own sinfulness, when you don't have to interact with others. I've been recently challenged on how impatient I am with everything. If I didn't live in the community, if I didn't do things, if I just did things on my own, I wouldn't have learned this um, about myself, how deep it goes. It's because I have to depend on others. It's because I I It's it's through that I learned that I am super impatient. I'm also learning that I'm not a very gracious person, that the default mode is a bit of self-righteousness and anger that comes out. And once again, I didn't know that I was this ungracious until I had to interact with others. I was forced to recognize this about myself. And when we live together, God will shine his light on our flaws through other people. In fact, this is what the first thing that people say about marriage, doesn't it, people? They say um, one of the first things that newly married people have told me is... Um, is that when your spouse is with you all the time, that person becomes a little bit of a reflection of you. That person instantly reacts to um, to you on all that you say, and, and you recognize how sinful and selfish you are in the constant interaction. And just as marriage is a training ground for holiness, the church should be as well. We need, the world needs us to be holy and that's why we should be living in community, that we should be living in relationship with people who are sitting next to you, people in your links groups, in order that we may become more and more like Christ, in order that God will shine his light more and more on us, that we, we can work on our holiness together. I can do it alone is a lie. If we don't have fellowship with others, we're not living out the truth, and we're not being purified from our sinful nature. The second lie, second lie that we often tell ourselves that prevents us from becoming more like Jesus is one that says, I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. Or it's variation. That's not a sin. And that's a, a, you see how John puts it in verse eight. John puts it in verse eight. If we claim to be without sin, the sin that says, I'm not, the lie that says, I'm not a sinner. in in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, that's not a sin we might tell ourselves. The mark of a Christian isn't one who has been so sanctified that she feels like she's arrived, that she's not a sinner anymore. If we feel that way, once again, the truth is not in us. Saying that we're not sinners might seem far-fetched to some of you, Um, but it's all too common. Many non-Christians say they're not sinners and are deeply offended when we call them sinners. When we say all have sinned and fallen far short of the glory of God, they are offended. They might say, well, I'm a good person. I haven't done anything really bad. In fact, our culture tells us that we're fundamentally good. And some of us then are also so self-righteous that we feel more like saying to then-sinners, this is especially the case when we start comparing ourselves with other people, people who have done something really bad. When other people's sins are exposed, we all of a sudden feel very self-righteous about ourselves. and We, th- we say, w- w- I can never be like that. I'm not a sinner like that. I don't have that particular sin, as if we're so different from all those people who have fallen. I'm not like that is a close relative to I'm, not, I, I, I'm without sin, isn't it? And if we... Feel this way. If we say that to ourselves, we deceive ourselves. It might also be, it might be that we don't feel like sinners anymore because we don't call sin sin anymore. We claim that we have not sinned. Partly, I think this is because of the many over many generations, uh, we have made certain sins acceptable in our culture. For example, we often, I think, rejoice in chances uh, for gluttony, opportunities for gluttony, indulging in our senses, overfilling our senses. We have idolized greed in our culture. Selfish ambition that's singled out as a sin many times in the New Testament is apparently a good thing in our culture. In fact, if you don't have that selfish ambition, you're often in the workplace, you get left behind. People don't think you care about the work anymore we have made idols of our family pride is encouraged in the workplace we have changed the language of how we talk about sin as well we don't call um we don't call uh, having an affair uh, adultery becomes having an affair theft is helping myself to the perks selfishness is standing up for my rights we have changed the language about sin That might be a problem. Some of us also have made some of these pet sins that we have part of our lives. And we tell ourselves, that's not so bad. Our addiction to pornography, our sense of insecurity, pride and greed, all the things I've mentioned. We say, well, that's just part of being a human being. That's not really sin. That's just being human. And if we don't call these things sins... If we claim that we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. We're saying God is a liar and his word is not in us. So you see, a mark of being a Christian is not a sense of having arrived at some point of holiness. Sense of complacency within ourselves. It's actually keen awareness of our sins. Grieving in our fallenness. And this explains why many new Christians are discouraged so often, right? After having become Christian, they become more and more aware of their sin. They feel like they're sinners they never were before. But that happens because sense of sinfulness is a result of walking in light. God coming into our lives and shining his light. They're seeing their actions and words and attitudes that they never considered sin before. Sin. Because Christ is sensitizing them by the Spirit through God's Word. God's light is peeling back layers of our hidden depravity so that we may be able to see ourselves as we really are. That's why the greatest of saints have always called themselves the worst of sinners. I'm not a sinner. That's not a sin. Our lies that we tell ourselves that get in, get in the way of us becoming like Christ. So, what are the sins that God is exposing in your life through other people, through the work of the Spirit, through His Word? What are the sins that God is working in your life right now? And what do you do with it? Remember John 3, 19, 20, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. You see, The people who live in the darkness run away when their sins are exposed. People who love Jesus, who live in the light, run to Christ. They run to Christ and they get their sins exposed. And they say, "They praise God that God is exposing this sin in my life so I can become more like him. They run towards the light. They confess their sins and ask for God's help. As Robert has said as we were doing our confession But some, some of us struggle with this sin, this lie, but also the other, completely the opposite side, is also true, isn't it? Some of us say we're not sinners. Some of us struggle with self-righteousness, but for many people, the complete opposite uh, is what their struggle is. They lie, they lie, that the lie that says we are too sinful, and we're beyond help, that it's hopeless. And that's also a lie, isn't it? that we are beyond redemption, that gets in the way of becoming like him. You know what I'm talking about. When we sometimes become too aware of our sins. We wallow and dwell in our sins, and we don't think we can be cleansed. Maybe it's a sin that you've been carrying around for years, and you think it's just beyond God's reach. Maybe it's a sin that you've committed in the past, and every time you think about it, you just feel dirty. But if we believe this lie, then we too make Jesus, we too make God to be a liar. You see what John says in verse 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, God will purify us. And that's in present tense. God will purify us we can have confidence that this is true because this it's it's based on God's character and what God has done you caught that words uh, you caught the truth uh, in verse 9 that he is faithful and just He will forgive us because he is faithful to himself. He will not go back on his word, the revealed character of God. The penalty of sin was paid, and he said that it was paid. He is faithful to his word, and he will not go back on the promise. But not only is he faithful, he's also just. You see, there's that firm foundation for forgiveness, and we know um, that the, he will forgive us because it's rooted in God's justice. God has forgiven you. God has to forgive you because our penalties have been paid by Jesus Christ once and for all. He will not punish us for our sins again when his son has paid for it already. He will not demand a second payment from you. In Christ Christ, The work of salvation has been completely accomplished. He is just. And because he is just, he will always forgive us us our sins as we come to him. And he did all of this, you see, because he loves you. Because he wants us to live in him. Because there is hope, and that is the hope for us all. Think about the cross. Think about what held Jesus on the cross. Was he just afraid of the soldiers that he didn't come down from the cross? Was it because he was nailed so firmly to the cross that he didn't come down to the, from the cross? No, that's not what held him there. It was his love for you that held him on the cross. And I love how Tim Keller puts it in one of his sermons. He says, Therefore, if you're crushed... If you're crushed under guilt, if you say, oh, I've done it again, how in the world could God receive me? You don't understand God's love. You're insulting the love of Jesus Christ. The same blood that keeps you from sinning restores you when you do. This is a medicine for any disease, whether it's temptation or accusation, whether it's too much guilt or too little. You see, Jesus could have come down from the cross any time he wanted to, but he didn't. So next time that you doubt your salvation, next time that you think, I'm I'm beyond help, I'm beyond forgiveness, remember that Jesus stayed on the cross. His love for you kept him there. Know what you did yesterday. Know what you did in the past, what you will do today and in the future. Will not bring him down from the cross. And as this hymn goes, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Look to the cross. He made an end to all your sins. Robert McCheney, if I can pray, uh, paraphrase his words, the greatest need for this world is for the church, for God's people to be Holy. When the world sees that we are like him, the world sees the holiness that is in this church, that there is no darkness at all, that we are being transformed, the world will know that God reigns over this world, that God's kingdom is breaking in because of us. Shatin will be transformed. Hong Kong will be transformed. The world will be transformed if the church can just be a bit more church. So let's continue. Let's not give up on the church. Let's continue to live in fellowship with others. Knowing that we will be a pain for others and vice versa as we seek to love each other. Let's remind ourselves of our sins and continue to call sin what it is for our sake and for the world's sake. But let's come to the cross every day being unconditionally loved by God, and internalizing that love, what Christ has done for us, so that we may be able to love each other, that we may be able to love the world as Christ loved. Let's pray.